All right, Genesis chapter 22. Let's begin at verse 1, and let's read together, shall we? Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the knife, fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching today. I pray that faith will rise within us, that we will be challenged, we will be inspired, we will be motivated, but mostly that we will be transformed. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you will draw them to a place of repentance that not one of them will be lost. I ask these things in the only name that matters, the wonderful, glorious, majestic name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. With the Middle Eastern sun beating down from a cloudless sky, a small band of travelers carefully picked their way across rough terrain. Occasionally, the young man could be seen extending a supporting hand to his aging father as they made their way toward the distant mountain. They traveled light, accompanied only by two young servants and a donkey laden with wood and other supplies needed for the journey. On the third day, the father looked up and saw they were nearing their destination. Suddenly, the enormity of the situation overwhelmed him, and for a brief moment, he halted. Then, with a sigh of resignation, he set his face and resumed his trek. Only this time, every step seemed harder to take, and with every step, his heart grew heavier. Abraham had faced a number of tests in his almost 130 years of living, but this one, well, this one seemed almost more than he could bear. The peace and satisfaction he had enjoyed for the last 30 years with his son Isaac was shattered, and the God he had come to know and serve spoke to him in verse 2 of Genesis 22 and said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
of which I will tell you. While there are a lot of lessons, important lessons to learn from this very familiar story, for the message today, I want to focus on how this chapter from the life of this Old Testament patriarch is an illustration of how trust is tested in those who would truly follow the Lord. Right in the very beginning of this story, I want you to consider the scrutiny of Abraham. That word scrutiny is defined in the dictionary as a searching study, inquiry, or inspection. It's examination. Abraham most certainly went through a searching study, inquiry, or inspection by God. Verse 1 begins with the words, after these things, which begs the question, what things? Well, after the things that had taken place in Abraham's life up until this point, especially the events of the preceding chapter 21. After these things implies that some time had passed between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. The word for tested has the idea of proving the quality of someone or something, often through adversity or hardship. Now, there are some who will immediately object to this idea of God testing. They've somehow gotten the notion that God will not bring any test into the lives of his people. I want to tell you that's simply not the case. It is true that God will never tempt you to sin. But it is also true that God will test you. God will put you in places and situations where your faith and your confidence and your commitment and your faithfulness all will be tested. Here's the thing about God's tests. When God brings a test to your life, he never shows you the outcome of the test at its inception. He never shows you how long it's going to last. He never shows you how severe it's going to be. He just puts you into the test. When you read the story of Abraham and Isaac, you have the luxury of reading all the way to the end. You've already read this story. You already know that there's a verse 11 and there's a verse 12 where the angel will call to Abraham and stop him from sacrificing his son. You know there's a verse 13 where a substitute will be caught in the thicket. But when God speaks to Abraham and gives the command to sacrifice his son, Abraham knows none of this. As far as Abraham knew, verse 2 was the end. The end of the promise, the end of his future, the end of his hope, the end of his laughter. Now, that's an important point because the truth is that when you are facing a test, God never announces at the beginning, listen, it's not really all that bad. Don't get alarmed. This is only a test. For the next 60 days, you're going to be tested, but it's not the end of the world as you know it. It's only a test. You won't really lose your job. The relationship won't end in disaster. Your health won't deteriorate. The bank won't foreclose. The kids will turn out all right in the end. This is only a test. God never does that. In fact, sometimes the relationship does fall apart. 
Sometimes the job does get terminated. Sometimes the kids don't turn out all right. Sometimes the bank does foreclose. Sometimes the health does fail. The real test is not, do you believe God will heal you or miraculously provide or supernaturally turn things around? Mm. The real test is, do you continue to trust in God when you don't get healed, when the supply doesn't show up, and when things don't turn around? Do you only trust God when there's a payoff at the end? Or, you, or do you trust him even if there is no payoff? Is God all by himself enough? Notice Abraham's obedience. See, don't miss the fact that when God speaks to Abraham and tells him to sacrifice his son, Abraham didn't say a word to God. Remember back in chapter 18 when God was talking about destroying Sodom? Do you remember that story? Well, when God and Abraham have that conversation, Abraham debated back and forth with God to get him to save the city. Remember that? He's wheeling and dealing. God, if there's 50 righteous, if there's 45, if there's four, all the way down to 10, God, he's, he's going, going at it. But here, Abraham doesn't say a word. The text doesn't even say anything about him telling his wife, Sarah, what he was going to do. Instead, the next verse, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offerings, arose and went to the place which God had told him. Uh, sacrifice of children in that culture, that ancient culture, was common. But it was something God had specifically prohibited. And yet here is God instructing Abraham to do something that is contradictory to everything Abraham knows about God. And what is Abraham's response? Nothing. No arguing, no questioning, obedience. Immediate, unhesitating, unwavering obedience. When God first called Abraham to leave his homeland of Ur of the Chaldeans, God promised to make of him a great nation and to give him a multitude of descendants. Abraham didn't understand how that promise of God could be fulfilled if he carried out this command to sacrifice his son. But rather than questioning, he left the difficulty with God, which is the essence of true trust. At its core, trust is acting upon the word and the promise of God. This is what Abraham did. Abraham trusted even though he couldn't understand the solution to the difficulty. And that brings me to look not only at the obedience expressed, but also at the ordeal experienced by Abraham. Anytime you look at the life of Abraham, it's important to remember that just because he's in the Bible doesn't make him some kind of plastic saint. Just because he's listed in the book of Hebrews in the Faith Hall of Fame doesn't mean that he was some kind of spiritual robot that always pressed the right buttons and quoted the appropriate Bible verse. 
The journey to Mount Moriah was about 45 miles, and it took them three days to get there. Nowhere in the Bible does it describe what Abraham was feeling about God's command during those three days of travel. It doesn't need to. You don't need Abraham's anguish spelled out to know how he was feeling. You can imagine the questions that must have run through his mind. And yet there is no indication of hesitation or of bargaining or of pleading or of delay. Now you've heard me say this before from this pulpit on multiple occasions, but I need to remind you of this truth once again. God will never ask you for what you do not have, but he will always ask for what you'd like to keep. The reason is because it's those things you hold on to, those things you cling to, those things you treasure. Those are the things that too easily get put ahead of God. The things you treasure and cling to can be sorted into about four different categories that I've come up with. First of all, there are possessions, you know, tangible and valuable things, a a house, a car, a, a piece of property an heirloom pocket watch, a a diamond ring, a rare coin, possessions. A second category would be vocation, your work or career or calling. People usually wrap their identity up in their vocation. Think about it. When somebody asks you, who are you? You may tell them your name, and then one of the very next things is your occupation. See, it's often tied with who you are and why you're here, your purpose, your vocation. Third category encompasses dreams and interests. Dreams include hopes for the future, the things you want to accomplish. Your interests would include hobbies and entertainment interests. Fourth category involves relationships, people you treasure, a parent you depend on, a son or daughter you delight in, a spouse you fear losing, a friend who means the world to you. None of those, none of those, possessions, vocation, dreams and interests, or relations, none of them are wrong. But all of them can be something you cling too tightly to and you sacrifice too much to attain and retain. Any or all of them can threaten to compromise your relationship with God if you treasure them above your relationship with him. Whatever you put ahead of God, God will ask you to release. Verse 5 gives a glimpse into Abraham's thinking when he says to the servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. You get a glimpse into Abraham's trust when Isaac makes the observation in verse seven that there's wood and there's fire, but there's no animal for the sacrifice. And Abraham replies then in verse eight, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. The writer in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 gives this commentary when he writes, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, 
in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He, watch this, he, that is Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him, Isaac, back as a type. Isaac is the son through whom God will fulfill all of his promises. Therefore, the son must live or God would be found false. And yet God commands that this son be put to death. Well, in the natural, that's a huge contradiction. Can you see that? But there is no contradiction in God. There's power in God. There's wisdom in God. There's majesty and glory in God. But but there's no contradiction in God. So the conclusion Abraham reached is this. Since there is no contradiction in God, there's only one possible answer to this contradiction. God is going to perform a miracle and raise Isaac from the dead. Now, doubt may say this is foolish. After all, up until now, there has never been a resurrection in the recorded history of the world. That doesn't make any difference. A resurrection is compatible with the nature of God. But a contradiction is not compatible with the nature of God. God is life and the author of life. It would be a small matter for the God who created the universe, including the first man, to bring life back into a dead body. So the one clear logical conclusion is that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham took what he had, don't miss this please, Abraham took what he had learned about walking with God and based his obedience upon the inviolable character of God who had made an unbreakable covenant with him. And that became his assurance point. That became the foundation upon, he, upon which he built an unshakable trust. And I want to suggest to somebody that's going through a test right now that you need to learn a lesson from Abraham. You need to touch your assurance point. You need to reach back into your memory bank and remember what you've learned in your time of walking with the Lord. You need to remember where the Lord brought you from. You need to remember how he delivered you from a dark place. You need to remember how he gave you hope when all hope was lost. You need to remember how he gave you peace in the midst of chaos. You need to remember the way he came through for you the last time you were in a desperate situation. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his provision. Remember his protection. Remember his comfort. You need to remember that he has brought you from a mighty long way. And instead of focusing on the problem, instead of focusing on the adversity, instead of focusing on the storm, focus on God. Go into your private place. Sit down. Dial up his number. Have a long conversation with him. Remember the sound of his voice. Remember the word of his promise. Let faith rise in your heart. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Raise up the hands that hang heavy at your side. Straighten those shoulders that sag. Lift up the eyes that are downcast. Open your mouth in praise. Walk forward in confidence knowing that God Almighty Mighty is your God. See, see, you may not be able to see it right now, but I'm here to tell you God is working. I said God is working. While you're waiting, while you're questioning, while you're hurting, while you're trying to create a new strategy, while you're looking for other options, God is working. Why why don't you just give him praise today if you believe that? 
God is working. Abraham took the wood and the fire. He told the servants to stay with the donkey. He left those servants behind because he didn't want them to try and stop him from what he knew he needed to do. I, I just, I'm not going to dwell here. I'd like to really preach here for a moment, but this may be another sermon somewhere down the line. This is what we might call the principle of separation. Sometimes, sometimes you need to get away from those who will lead you down the wrong path and try to keep you from obeying God. Now, I'm just going to leave that right there. I, I'd really like to just jump on that and preach for about a half an hour, but then my time would be passed up and I wouldn't get the rest of this one in. Abraham revealed his trust in verse 5 when he said, I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Then he placed the wood on Isaac's shoulders and the two of them started up the mountain. I've talked about the scrutiny of Abraham. Now I want to show you something that is often overlooked in this story, and that is the submission of Isaac. A lot of people read chapter 22 and think of Isaac as a little lad toddling along beside Abraham. It's not because it, the, the, the Bible uses the word I and the lad, you know, and uses those terms. But that's not really the picture that emerges from this story. First of all, Isaac's old enough and big enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. Okay. So that automatically gets him out of the four and five-year-old range. Second, the very next chapter, chapter 23, tells about Isaac's mother, Sarah, dying at the age of 127. At the time of her death, Isaac would have been about 37 years old. Since a considerable period of time elapsed between Genesis 21 and Genesis 22, it is reasonable to conclude that this incident of being sacrificed on Mount Moriah took place later in Isaac's life rather than earlier. And finally, one of the lessons from this story is that here God is painting a prophetic picture of future redemption for humanity by Jesus on Calvary's cross. So when you put all those pieces together, it seems reasonable to believe that Isaac, who is a prophetic type of Jesus, was about 33 years old when he accompanies his father to the place of sacrifice on Mount Moriah, the same age as Jesus when he was crucified. You see the submission of Isaac as he carries the wood up the mountain. Nowhere in the story is there even a hint of a suggestion that he struggled or resisted being bound and laid upon the altar. Now, think about this. Surely, a man of 33 in robust health could overpower a man of Abraham's age. But Isaac is submissive to the process, even though he understood even less than Abraham. This is a prophetic picture. Isaac on this altar is a symbolic type of Jesus dying for the sins of the world on Calvary's cross. Consider these parallels. Isaac is called the only begotten son of Abraham, while Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Isaac was loved by his father. Remember, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Jesus was loved by his father, as was witnessed at his baptism, when the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Both Isaac and Jesus were obedient to their father. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice, even as Jesus carried his cross to be sacrificed. 
sacrifice. The place of sacrifice for Isaac was Mount Moriah. Jesus was sacrificed on Mount Calvary. And at his death, the veil to the Holy of Holies was torn. That Holy of Holies was positioned at the very site of the altar where Isaac was laid. Both Isaac and Jesus willingly laid down their lives without resistance. Isaac, according to Hebrews eleven nineteen, was received back to his father even as Jesus was received back to his heavenly father following his resurrection. These parts of the prophetic picture of Isaac have already been fulfilled by Jesus. But there is yet one more part that is still to come. Once Isaac is received back to Abraham, there's no mention of him until the end of chapter 24 when he is united with his bride, Rebecca. May I just remind you that this is the part we're still waiting for. It's been 2,000 years since we last saw him. But there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus, the fulfillment of this prophetic picture, will be united with his bride, the church, and will sit down together with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the peaceable kingdom of our Lord. Praise God. Well, there's the scrutiny of Abraham. There's the submission of Isaac. And finally, I want you to see the substitution of God. A little earlier in the message, I told you that anything you put ahead of God, God will ask you to release. There's another part of that statement. What you release, God will replace with something far more valuable. This brings me back to the question of trust. Isaac is bound. He's placed on the altar. Abraham raises the knife. In his heart, Isaac is already sacrificed. As far as Abraham knows, this is the end of the dream. This is the nullification of the promise. There is no payoff of laughter to his obedience. When everything held dear is released, that's when the angel of the Lord cries out and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. At that, at that moment, not a moment too soon and not a moment too late, at that moment, a ram is caught in the thicket. A sacrifice is indeed offered. Abraham does worship, and don't you know it was a worship service unlike any that had ever been experienced before? Abraham calls the name of that place Jehovah Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, we, we usually call it. This is the only place where this name for God is used. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah is the covenant name of God. It is translated as the Lord. The word Jireh means see. Jehovah Jireh means literally the Lord will see or will see to it. It is more commonly translated to us, the Lord will provide. Now think about that word provision for a moment. The prefix pro means ahead of or before. To provide is to see beforehand, to take precautionary measures. Provision is to have vision 
to see ahead of or before the need. I'm about to bless myself. The idea is that the Lord who sees the need will also see to it that the need is met before the need is even present. Somebody ought to shout about that. <laughs> now, 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 here's what I found. Here's what I found. I'm about to mess with somebody. Most people want the gyra part, the provision part, the seeing to the need even before it's present. Most people want that part. Truth be told, we'd rather he go ahead and provide without us even becoming aware of the need. Come on, somebody. Where you sometimes balk is with the Jehovah part, the Lord. That's the obedience part. Notice the end of verse 14. We didn't read down that far, but you can check it at home if you've already closed your Bible. It, the end of verse 14 says, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Notice where it is that the Lord provides. In the place of his assignment. See, Abraham was at the right place so God could meet his needs. If Abraham's, if Abraham's not on the mount... The Lord's provision can't get to him because he's not in the place he's supposed to be. See, you can do things your way or you can see God's provision. You can't have both. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord provider. You can't expect him to provide if he's not your Lord. This requires obedience. This is what it means at the end of this story when Abraham, or when the Lord pronounces blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing to Abraham in verses 17 and 18. The Lord says to him, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Then at the end of verse 18, he tells him why these blessings are coming to him when he says, because you have obeyed my voice. This is how you pass the test of trust. This is the essence of trust. Obedience, even when there is no fulfillment of promise. Obedience, even when there's no payoff at the end. Obedience, even when it flies in the face of everything you've ever hoped. When you lay your Isaac down and when you are satisfied with God alone in its place, that's when you pass the test of trust. When God is truly enough all by himself, that's when you pass the test of trust. When God sees that kind of trust, that's when his provision kicks in. 
That's when he replaces any treasure you release with something far better. That's when he sees to it that your expectations are exceeded. That's when he rewards your commitment to him with blessings beyond imagination. I'll finish up with this. At, at the end of chapter 21, Abraham speaks of God as El Olam. That is the enduring or everlasting God. That is, God is the one who is responsible for the grand scheme of things. He's the God of the long term. Here in chapter 22, Abraham speaks of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the God who sees to all the details. What that says is he's not just God of the long term, but he's God of the short term as well. He's the one who cares for the needs of the moment. Right on the heels of Abraham's obedient response, he discovers that God can be trusted to see to all the details of fulfilling his covenant promise. Some of you need to know that today. Right now, this very day, you're not even aware of it, but God is seeing to the details of how to work things out for your good. Somebody grab hold of that right now. Right now, God is seeing to the details of how to work things out for your good. Right now, when it seems that you've been forgotten and forsaken, when it seems that no one cares, when you've exhausted all the resources available to you, God is right now seeing to the details of your life. Right now, when it seems the problems will overwhelm you and you will surely sink, God is seeing to the details so you will not be defeated. You will not go under. Instead, you will rise up and be more than a conqueror through his grace and through his power and through his spirit that is at work in your life. Right now, right now, you may not be able to see it. You may be on one side of the mountain trudging along, dreading what awaits you when you get to the top. But I want you to know God is already at work. He's already seeing, started seeing to the details of your need. He's already started the provision coming up the other side of the mountain. He's already nudged a ram. He's already prodded him and said, buddy, you, you need to get on up to the top of the mountain because you're going to be needed here in just a little bit. And when you get to the top, when trust has been demonstrated, when your Isaac has been laid down, when God knows that you want him more than you want his promise, that's when the provision will be released to your life. The Lord God is right now seeing to all the details of your miracle. I wish somebody would give him praise in this house today if you're willing to embrace that. There's a lot more we could talk about, but right now, I just believe the Lord has brought us to a point of action. As I bring the message to a close, I want to first of all give an invitation for you to surrender your life to Jesus, who has already made the sacrifice to pay, to pay the penalty for your sin. Now, watch this. Please, please understand me. I am not asking you to surrender to Jesus so you'll be able to go to heaven when you die. I'm asking you to surrender to Jesus because walking with him and living for him is its own reward. It's the best life you could ever live. Bow with me for a moment, please.
Lord Jesus, I submit this message to you. Holy Spirit, I've done everything I know to do to deliver that which has been given to me by the Lord for this, for this service. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you will touch the hearts of people. If there's someone listening to this message right now that is not surrendered to Jesus, give them the courage to say yes to Jesus, to lay down anything that would hinder them. We release it to you now, and we ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into our heart. Forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us. We respond to you right now, saying we know that your death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, and we don't have to do anything except receive it. So by faith, we receive it. We don't ask for a sign. We don't ask for a feeling. We just make a decision to trust you and to surrender to you. We give ourselves to you without reservation right now, Lord Jesus. Come into our heart. Make us part of your forever family. And I thank you for hearing that prayer now. Now, to those of you who are already in a relationship with the Lord, I want to challenge you with this question. I want to know, do you trust the Lord? I mean, really, do you really trust him? Are you ready to lay your Isaac down? Whatever it is that you treasure most, are you ready to lay it down? Are you ready to live as if walking with God is its own reward? This is the call of God to you today. Years ago, the gospel songwriter Andre Crouch wrote words that capture in just a few lines what it's taken me a whole sermon to preach. He wrote, but if heaven never was promised to me, neither God's promise to live eternally it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. Living in a world of darkness. But he brought me the light. Is this the kind of trust you have today? This is the trust God rewards. Stand with me, please.